This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. This is Sterling Shea from Barron's, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Way Forward. This week, our guest is Rob Francis, who is CEO of Asperian, which is a national RIA firm headquartered in California. Rob's been at this game for a very long time, and when I'm asked so frequently by financial advisors about how do they position their firm for long-term success, I think Rob has a lot of wisdom to share uh, and a lot of insight in some of the do's and some of the don'ts in making sure that your firm's strategy is really prepared for success. Rob, thanks so much for making time for us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Rob, prior to the start of the COVID crisis, before all this began, what, what were some of the most important strategic priorities for Experian? Coming into 2020, um, we were really on the tail end of an initiative that we called One Experian. And One Experian, uh, that initiative was launched back in 2016. So we were really entering our fifth year of, uh, of that initiative. And one experience was really created after we had completed four mergers in an 18-month period back in 2016 and 2017. And we added about $3 billion in AUM, 35 people in three different cities. And so um, when we were taking up our strategic initiatives back then, um, one experience was uh, something that made a lot of sense. And so over the past four years, we've been focused on the One Asperian Initiative, um, things like integrating our organizations, coming together as one culturally, um, building our, our growth infrastructure to handle even more scale. So we're things related to modernizing the way we serve clients, institutionalizing how we care uh, for and cultivate our people, things like that. So there was a fair amount of modernization and how do we scale. We added key uh, positions and roles in our organization, um, you know, building a learning and development, uh, um, you know, platform as an example was one of those things that we knew we needed for the next phase uh, of our own growth. So when 2020 uh, came around, we were really sort of wrapping up one experience. There were things that um, you know, we wanted to make progress on before moving on to uh, our next initiative, which is something we're working on uh, today. But things like evolving our board governance, um, implementing new technologies, building out our learning and development platform, and, and really turning our attention uh, more to growth in 2020. Well, yeah, I want to get into some of those aspects, but what I heard you say was this notion of institutionalizing client service and, and thinking, being more intentional in the way you think about caring for uh, your, your people. But when COVID hit and we shifted to this virtual format, uh, everybody's priorities shifted a little bit with that. Can, can you talk to us a bit about uh, how the priorities for both you as CEO and, and for Asperian at large adapted to the COVID situation? You know, I think the, the core long-term priorities um, haven't really changed, um, you know, from a business perspective. Um, they're still core to who we are and, and our long-term strategy. So those kind of remain, but naturally when the pandemic hit, um, you know, it, it created just enormous amounts of immediate near-term priorities. So, 
almost everything long-term and things that we were working on in due course kind of get put off to the side. So, you know, the obvious things of adjusting to working from home and adjusting to service delivery, you know, how do we, how do we continue to provide, uh, you know, superior service in this environment? And then a big one was just taking care of our people. And, and so, you know, naturally, there's a lot of people in the organization who already were effective, you know, working from home. And then there was another, you know, 30% of the organization who really had never worked from home. And so, um, you know, there was immediate uh, pandemic related uh, concerns and issues. Naturally, uh, the market um, falling, you know, sort of the investment team, you know, kicking into gear with webinars and connecting to our clients in a productive way. Um, and so all of the things that sort of dealt with the the immediate uh, you know concerns that we had and what everybody really was dealing with at the time, those became the priorities. And I would say, you know, that lasted you know probably about four months. I mean, it was really quite remarkable the work that we had done uh, around one one experience really began to shine uh, inside of uh, inside of the pandemic and inside of the crisis. Um, everybody knew their role. They knew where their boundaries were, what the guardrails, the cult, you know, the core values, the organization, everybody was on the same page. And so, and, you know, our, we built out our leadership team over the past decade. Um, and so there's not a lot of people wearing multiple hats in the organization. So people kicked into gear. And in many ways we were, you know, whether, you know, whether it was our uh, technology department being ready for what if something happens, you know, it just, you know, fairly prepared for something like this. I mean, we never prepared for a pandemic, but um, several other disasters. And then I would say that the pandemic also created a lot of new opportunities to reinvent our future, right? It, it, the pandemic really pulled forward so many trends and things that were happening uh, already. And so um, I think once we once we got past sort of the immediate near-term call to duty type priorities that, that were really handed to us, we began and, and shifted gears to, um, you know, how are we going to work in the future? How are we going to serve clients in the future? How are we going to hire and develop people in the future? You know, how do we think about our growth strategy, you know, maybe differently inside of this new uh, paradigm? And the paradigm is just predominantly working from home and sort of leaning, you know, into that. And so, um, you know, the last six months we've spent uh, a lot of time. We've had, uh, we've had several, what we call executive committee home sites. So we used mm. to do off sites. These are home sites now. And, um, you know, they're different, but, uh, you know, in terms of how we can execute on them, but uh, we're taking these issues up today and we've surveyed our people, we've surveyed our clients. And, and so we're getting a lot of really good information uh, to develop our strategies going forward. Well, give us the, the tricks of the trade, uh, Rob Francais' playbook, if you will. I, I would guess, knowing you, um, that you're a hands-on leader and you, you thrive in the interpersonal uh, interactions that you have with, with team members. That's, that's harder. Uh, from a di in a in a digital and, and virtual format, even even with uh, frequent communication, what, what do you learn um, about doing it the right way? And and if you think about that period and that transition, were there any learning moments that you, they might have approached differently if you had the chance to do again? Yeah, I, you know, um, 
I mean, lessons learned inside of, you know, kind of this period that we're in. Uh, one thing I think we've observed, um, and perhaps maybe we're relearning it, is um, some version of the old adage, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of observing that people are fairly adaptable. So taking, you know, the work from home, um, we, we were already in a conversation about working from home and what our strategy would be. And like, I think a lot of organizations um, cautiously turning the dial uh, as it relates to that. Um, so we had contemplated that. And, you know, when we would talk about that, the, the, the barriers would get thrown up. You know, would we be more productive? Would you be able to team as effectively? You know, and so there was this notion that it's just not all that, you know, it, it, it's, it's good for a small part of maybe our time allocation, but it's not, it's not effective as a, as a strategy. And, um, you know, I think we've, we've learned and, you know, look, naturally it's very different to go from working from home along with the rest of the world, right. All at the same time. Right. So that's like ripping the bandaid off. That's very different than, you know, as an organization, us going to work from home and the rest of the world is, you know, hasn't gone to work from home or, you know, there was no pandemic. I think that's harder to, you know, so the opportunity um, presented itself. Um, and I think for, for most businesses to actually embrace the work from home, um, you know, as the pandemic uh, subsides and, and gets into our rear view mirror, hopefully uh, someday soon. Um, that the that the benefits of uh, work from home can be you know can remain and so um, anyway so so I think we learned that um, you know where there's a will there's a way and I think you know the the lesson there is next time we're taking up a fundamentally you know changed dynamic and we're throwing up barriers let's really challenge ourselves as to you know whether those are true barriers or not because I think we learned a lot um, uh, you know how productive and how effective we can be. Um, working from home. And then th the other thing I would add to that is we also learned that we're not working from home, but rather we're living at work. Uh, mm. You know, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a higher risk of burnout inside of this environment. Um, you know, the boundaries, uh, you know, sort of get blurred between uh, work and home. So, um, you know, that right now there's not a lot on anyone's calendar. There's no social plans or, you know, sports or kids activities, commutes, you know, there's not a lot of stuff on people's calendars. So, um, you know, the notion of taking a vacation as an example, or even a taking a break from work, taking the day off doesn't really have the same meaning, um, because, uh, you're, you're still at home <laughs> and you're still not doing anything and there's not much in the way of plans. And so it's, it's a little bit harder to manage taking a vacation. So I would say, you know, the, the, the risk of burnout and being a little bit more intentional about that, um, you know, is, is probably important advice. Well, you also uh, spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about culture of your organization. And there's one aspect of that that I want to ask about, which is around motivation. In this period in the last few months, you know, we've all felt so reactionary. You're reacting to volatility in the market. You're reacting to uh, client anxiety. You're reacting to the pandemic. But it seems that you've taken this mindset of growth and you're moving from the defensive to a more uh, forward-leaning offensive stance uh, in terms of the culture. How do you motivate people to, to make that shift? 
Well, the the motivation uh, to, to a work from home setting is uh, is built in. Um, when we polled our employees, some ninety percent of them would uh, prefer to work from home. You know, uh, most of the time. Um, you know, some of the time to most of the time captures ninety percent of our uh, of our employees. So, but I think your question is really motivating people you know, what's changed or how are you motivating people in, in this environment? And I, I'd say, you know, we're getting creative um, uh, in, in, in a lot of different ways. So I'll give some examples. So um, some of our department meetings, you know, in the beginning, you know, they would get on the uh, Zoom call and everyone would just, you know, be on the Zoom call. And so uh, one of our department heads came up with the idea of getting a t-shirt, you know, that, you know, had some some uh, logo on it, you know, for the investment operations group or, you know, a particular group in the organization. And they sent, you know, they ordered t-shirts, sent them all to the team members. And so when they get on team calls, they're all wearing the same shirts. And so there's a feeling of community and, and, and motivation, even though we're all at home and uh, all of that, you know, we're still, we're still a team. So there's a sense of unity and, and togetherness. Um, you know, so that's just one example of the kinds of things um, that we're doing, but there's, uh, you know, for children, for employees that have young children at home, as an example, we provided flex time um, during normal work hours. We identified, proactively identified those individuals and um, allowed them to, to, to work flexibly and, tend to their kids and deal with what they needed to, to deal with there. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, we've got team member Tuesday campaigns where we're highlighting, uh, different, uh, staff people, you know, on social media, things like that. And so, um, you know, from a, from an executive committee, you know, perspective, you know, when we have our meetings, uh, we had our executive committee home site, so, you know, typically those are three days, we're close, we have, uh, you know, we share uh, dinner together, it's usually morning to uh, evening kind of affair, and we're all together. Um, you know, how do you, how do you make it, you know, some aspect of that seem normal? And so, you know, we, we sent out care packages to all the executive committee members with, you know, coffee and wine and snacks and, you know, all that stuff and sort of had fun, uh, with some of that. Um, so those are some examples, how, you know, how do you, how do you motivate in a, in a work from home setting? Well, th those are great. And uh, now let's go into process though. Say everybody's motivated. All right, let's move, let's, let's shift to a growth mode. Um, what is that, that strategy and that process around new business and growth uh, look like uh, in this environment? How have you shifted what you were doing and thinking around organic growth in the business from a couple of years ago to where you are now? Yeah. So, um, you know, as we think about you know, growth. First of all, we we think this is an opportunity to make lemonade out of lemons. Um, you know, in the in the when you're talking about organic growth, um, you know, clients and prospects they need more service in these uh, you know times of dislocation. They need more service, not less. Um, and so, in in many ways, we're lucky that way to be part of a business that, inside of a, a of a pandemic or you know some sort of disruption, that um, clients actually need us more, not less. And so, um, the prospects are out there and they need help. And so, really, it's a matter of you know how might you connect to them, um, you know, inside of this environment. So, some of the 
traditional ways of generating organic growth uh, have fallen by the wayside. The ones that you know sort of rely more on the physical contact and, and being in person. And so um, we've got plenty of new initiatives. So we've already been leaning in, and we talked a little bit about one experience and sort of building the infrastructure that's going to help us grow as an organization. One of those is our marketing efforts, and you know how do we modernize our marketing efforts? And so we've been working on um, digital marketing and digital strategies for a long time, and we run digital campaigns that target particular concerns. Right. So today, concerns around volatility and general disruption, um, planning opportunities uh, in these environments. Um, you know, we can put together a campaign, landing pages. And, and get that information out and begin to capture, uh, you, know, you know, some of these prospects, you know, the ones that are not coming through referrals. Most of our business comes through referrals. These are really sort of the, the marketing and, 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 you know, the pure marketing plays uh, for us. So, um, you know, we've had an exponential number increase, uh, increased numbers in webinars. So we've had investing webinars, wealth planning webinars. We had a teen uh, webinar series, so teaching uh, young adults uh, how to manage um, uh, financial affairs or their financial affairs, and really spoke to a particular demographic. And so, um, you know, we've been increasing the number of those types of things um, that we've done. A lot of email communication to prospective clients, so that's sort of more uh, traditional PR. Um, and then, you know, everything is, you know, how do you how can you prospect? How can you do something unique in the you know through a video sort of touch? And so we've actually executed on uh, wine tasting as an example, um, where we sent wine in advance um, and set up a you know and 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 high end food and set up a wine tasting event for a few of our prospects. And you know there <laughs> there's different phases of the uh, pandemic for people, I think, and. I think a fair amount of us have gone through our wine phase. And so it was sort of right at that time when people were, were in their wine phase. And so it was well-received and, and an interesting way to uh, connect. I guess I'm still in my phase uh, in that regard. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, it sounds good. But sometimes uh, with those digital campaigns, concrete ROI can be elusive. And you have to go a little bit by, by gut. Can you speak to any of that? I think it's been a little bit... Um, it's been a little bit of trial and error, but mm -hmm. I will say that uh, this is our best year for pure digital um, connection and, and leads to turn into clients. And I'm not talking about just, I mean, we have landed a fair amount of clients, new clients that we've never met in person. And I imagine that's uh, similar for a lot of organizations, but I'm really talking about those individuals who didn't know anyone who knew us. and got to us through a digital medium and, you know, followed through that track and then ultimately became clients. And so we're having our best year this year doing that. Uh, tough to tell whether, you know, it's elusive, as you said, what's the attribution? Is it because we're in pandemic mode and that's a, um, you know, more likely way to connect to anything today? Or is it because the cumulative efforts that we, you know, have been, uh, you know, undergoing for the past, you know, four or five years building this out, you know, are those starting to pay off? You know, so it's tough to tell which is which.
I would bet more the latter. But let's shift, let's shift gears a little bit. I know that in addition to being passionate about the culture and, and strategy and growth, the passion for investing uh, and creating great uh, portfolios and investment solutions for clients is, is deep at your firm. You know, the upcoming months looking ahead, we've got an election cycle that'll be uh, crazy by all accounts. Uh, we've got a whole host of reasons to be worried about growth and, and the economy. Uh, we're bound to see some volatility. H- how are you preparing clients and to withstand that, that volatility that's uh, inevitable looking forward? So in many ways, we've been preparing for increased volatility, you know, in- including <laughs> the potential for material pullbacks over the past few years. So if you read our materials or our insights, uh, fundamental value uh, investors, and so leaning away uh, from risk more and more as valuations got uh, stretched. So, um, you know, growth was slowing, profits uh, seemingly peaking, um, interest rates were pretty close to zero, right? Valuations are elevated. So we've been leaning away and preparing clients for uh, downside volatility for quite a while now. Um, in, in fact, I would say that we spend some time preparing for volatility the other direction, right? So the the kind of volatility that's up. Uh, so 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 a, a, a melt up type of environment. We spend today more uh, time talking about the potential for continued um, for continued you know sort of melt up environment because our clients are fairly uh, uh, well-versed and prepared for increased volatility, uh, the other direction. So, uh, you know, our portfolios and how we're positioned today, um, you know, we're leaning into fixed income, defensive strategies, um, you know, lower co- correlated liquid alternatives, um, some gold, I mean, defensive equities. So, you know, we've been leaning in that direction. So their portfolios did very well uh, in the in the fall off in in March. Uh, and then, you know, as things have, uh, as it's been sort of a growth concentrated growth led rally over the past six months, we've, uh, you know, stayed the course pretty much, uh, you know, continue to lean away uh, from that risk. So I'd say our, our clients are pretty well prepared for downside vol- uh, volatility at this point. Well, the portfolios might be prepared, but then there's the client psyche in and of itself. Uh, If there's a return to more anxiety and fear, uh, if there is potential for a contested uh, election, for example, Um, I I think there is that possibility that that we could see sharp turns. How do you prepare uh, emotionally uh, for advisors or how do advisors prepare uh, to respond to the emotions and behaviors of their clients? I do agree with you. And there's any number of things that could go awry, especially in the months ahead. So, um, you know, whether that's failure to reach, uh, you know, additional bipartisan fiscal support, um, you know, the election turmoil, which is, you know, really starting to, to, to play out, it looks like, um, you know, in, in, in terms of, uh, uh, what, what's out there today, and then just additional trade and, and business disputes with, with China. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, among other things, there's a lot of, uh, uh, of risk out there. And so, um, you know, preparing clients emotionally, uh, like I said, I mean, we, we've been in this conversation for a while. In some ways, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's validation that the strategy is, is working more than anything else. But 
Um, you know, the, the clients that we serve, long-term financial plans, um, they're tailored. Most of our clients, uh, on average, our clients have been with us for almost 20 years. So many of them, we've got several new ones, but many of our uh, clients have been through this uh, many times before. And I would say that um, it was a little bit harder. Uh, we used to be a little bit more, um, uh, you know, on the benchmarks and, and more, um, uh, you know, sort of a buy and hold strategy and, and you know, we can work through the, you know, with, with intellect, we can work through the emotional battle. So going into the uh, great financial crisis, um, that was our strategy. And so, uh, you know, when, when things, uh, when the big drawdowns happened in, in 08 and early 09, um, clients experienced quite a bit of drawdown. Now, we were fortunate because our clients have long-term plans. And they were pretty well versed and educated in what the long-term strategy was. Um, but what we found, I, first of all, only 4% of our clients actually changed their allocations inside of the, the downturn. And so many of them stuck with their long-term plans or 96% of them stuck with their long-term plans and they were rewarded for that. And, um, and so in the 2011, 2012 timeframe, we held client focus groups where we were talking to clients about let's talk about that experience now that the uh, now that the emotions of the downturn are sort of in our rearview mirror. Um, let's talk about the experience and um, you know what that was like for you. And what we learned was, you know, from them at that time, you know, they understood it. They stayed the course. They get it. Um, they asked for something that was a little bit more um, valuation sensitive, so that if we can you know, chop off the peaks and fill in the valleys a little bit and have a little bit of a smoother ride through these uh, peaks and valleys, that that would be more uh, attractive of an experience for them. And so um, we introduced valuation overlays and uh, risk management strategies into our portfolios that have really served them well. And so, you know, preparing them for the downside is, a in our model, is more preparing them to pounce when valuations get more uh, attractive and, and, you know, them being more uh, opportunistic. So the, it's the flip side of the downside risk. It's how do you, how do you, um, you know, have your clients feel comfortable buying in March of 09, right? As opposed to uh, as it's going down, right? So um, preparing our clients for the next drawdown is really about um, purchase opportunities and reallocating capital to uh, riskier assets. You know, you've given us a lot to think about around business strategy, uh, motivating a team, uh, engaging with clients in the digital format, and thinking about uh, best approaches for portfolio and wealth planning. Um, send us home with a, a, a final piece of actionable advice, thinking about not just the last uh, six months of uh, our shared existence in the, the COVID situation, but more broadly, your experience at uh, experience the last few years. What's one piece of, what's one actionable idea or one piece of advice you'd offer to the advisors uh, that are listening in? So I'll, I'll answer the, the question and, uh, you know, uh, it probably falls into, you know, an idea around how you might consider motivating uh, your, your, your people. So the best way to motivate the team is to connect them personally to the difference that we make for the families that we serve. And so we have a, an annual uh, 
get together, we call it Achieve. Um, this year, we're doing a virtual Achieve. And Achieve is a three-day conference. You know, we shut down the offices. Everybody comes into town and, you know, we talk about culture and strategy and service and we do training and team building and all kinds of good stuff. But it always ends. We do two things. We hand out core value awards and then we have one client come in and speak to us. And part of what the client talks about is themselves and kind of whether it's about their careers or their family or both sort of a personal connection. And then it launches into, um, you know, why experience or, you know, what, what do we, what do we provide for the family? And I have to tell you, if organizations haven't ever done this before, it is really special, especially for the people who don't connect to the clients uh, directly that work for the organization and there is nothing that's more, uh, uh, you know, just just more motivational than to hear. Uh, and I have to tell you, Sterling, these things get emotional. Mm-hmm. We've had several where there's no dry eye in 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 the house, and um, they usually end with some some pretty big bear hugs, which I don't think we'll be able to do this year. But um, nonetheless, that's an actionable idea. Uh, find the right client who would want to tell their story and figure out a way to connect your people to that story because it's uh, it's a really powerful uh, motivator. Well, Rob, that's a great one. Hey, thank you so much for sharing your, your insight. We really appreciate it. You bet, Sterling. Appreciate the opportunity. And I want to thank everyone for listening in. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Way Forward. This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.